Praise the Lord. Praise God. I am ready. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Praise God. Good morning, all. If you're here for the first time, you should be able to find a, a sheet there somewhere around you on your seat. And if you turn in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, in chapter 10, we're going to start a brand new series today. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Mark 10 and verse 29. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, not just houses, but pleasant places to live. Homes, relationships, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, spiritual children, natural children, and fields, lands, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, they will also be rewarded. Look at me a moment. Every human being is eternal. Every person here will exist forever. You were always eternal. Now, modern man, science catches up with these things, you know. It's fascinating. Science constantly scores own goal after own goal after own goal. And when they unravel this body, they find that it was never meant to die. They don't know what it is that turns off your clock, you know? That thing that, caught, that, that gives you life. But we do. It was the curse of death in Genesis. And I'm fascinated by the times in which we live. Because more and more of the biblical truth is being revealed. And truly... We are left without excuse. Completely without excuse. But still, men turn from the God that they know is there and they worship created things. They worship money. They worship other people because you're made to worship. That's why the rock concert, they're all standing. You're made for that. You're made to worship God. But every single one of you is going to exist forever. You will either be separated from God eternally, Jesus called it hell, or you will, be, you will live with God forever in heaven. Now guess what? Hell is not the same for everyone. Jesus spoke about varying punishments in hell. There's varying degrees of punishment in hell. But there is also very clearly, varying degrees of reward in heaven. Right? It's not all the same. It's not an automatic thing. And the wonderful thing about God is that He gives us the opportunity right now in this life to become shareholders in the kingdom of God in which you will live forever. But the trouble with humanity is we're so short-sighted. Cain sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. We can be so short-sighted. In fact, it was one of the things that Jesus spent most of his time screaming from the rooftops. Invest in heaven. 
Send forward your reward. Build up for yourselves treasures there. Not so much here. Right? But mankind doesn't really follow that advice. Many of you, more and more all the time, I'm quite shocked actually, are starting businesses. And we're going to do a series not just about our giftings, but also about our, the way we function in the church and also about our finances. I think there's over 20 people starting businesses. Either they've already started or going to start. So I want to talk about life in general over the next few weeks. If you've ever started a business, you will know that you can enter it on many different levels. You can become at a basic level what's called a sole trader. And that means you're just pretty much on your own. Each year you submit a self-assessment tax form, and that's pretty simple. Next level up would be a private company or a private limited company. Next level up, you could be a public company. And if you do really well, you'll become what they call floated or listed on the stock exchange. And that's really good because that way, many of the public can actually start to invest in your business and also profit. Now, many of the worldly structures that you see in the business world come straight out of this book. Right? And in fact, if you were to, to talk about the kingdom of God, like a business, it would be a floated business. It would be an operation, if you like, in which you can become a shareholder, most definitely. Not just that. There's many, many, many similarities between the business world, if you like, and the kingdom of God. And Jesus drew our attention to many of them. For example, if you've ever seen a company getting floated for the first time, like, say, BT or British Gas or something. They privatize that. And you can buy shares in that, say. You will often see billboards up all around the city. And on those billboards will be a closing date. And that is, again, very similar to the kingdom of God. Investment in eternity for you has a closing date. My father invested in the kingdom of God most of his life, certainly in all the time I knew him. He was very wise that way. But you know, he had a closing date. It's on his gravestone. The closing date for investment, for sending things forward, is the day you die. Amen? So we've got to listen to Jesus. Another way you could look at the kingdom of God is as a franchise. Some of you may not know what a franchise is. McDonald's is a franchise. You say McDonald's outside here in Mary Hill. They've got nothing to do with America as such, not directly. But uh, McDonald's in America is a company. It's a franchise company. And what they do is they sell or they rent out their name, their product, their advertising, and someone sort of rents that off them. But they're an autonomous businessman. Pizza Hut, Burger King, McDonald's. They're all a franchise-based business. And again, that's very like the kingdom of God. Jesus sends us out. He gives us his name. He gives us his product, if you like, the word of God to bring to the nations. There are many, many, many similarities, some that are encouraging, some that are terrifying, to be honest. You will often hear it said that the kingdom of God is all about worship. Now, whilst I would agree that the heart of our relationship with God is worship, let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is not all about worship. And when God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He did not say to them, now, what you're going to do 
is this whole thing is about worshipping me. He didn't say that, did he? He told them, I have put you here to take dominion. I am a king. God was their king. And this will be my kingdom. And you will be my subjects. And he gave them very clear instructions about how they could advance that kingdom. Very clear guidelines. Like any king, a king has to have a territory, right? Or he's not a king. And this is God's territory. We're standing on it, sitting on it right now. A king has got to have a territory. A king has got to have subjects. And that's those of us who are saved. A king will have laws. A, a king will have a culture. And we'll be tied us, really, if we ignore the laws of the king. Right? It ain't going to work. It isn't going to be a good end. Some people start out in their Christian life very well, just like Pastor Elia said. And maybe they start out, say, tithing. But as time goes by, they lose faith. And they stop tithing or stop giving in faith. That's a critical mistake. Listen to this story of the curves. I don't know, many of you may well already know the curves story, but it's a phenomenal story. This is a man, a born-again Christian man, who started a business in America. Listen to this. Over 27 years ago, Curve's founder, Gary Heaven, dropped out of pre-med program he could no longer afford. He took over a failing health club in Houston, Texas, and began to provide fitness services that would prevent illness. He was only at the age of 25. He owned six successful women's-only fitness centers and was providing weight loss guidance to thousands of women through group meetings. By the age of 30, listen to this, he owned 17 locations. He's gone from one to 17 locations that he franchised out. And then he lost it all. Born-again Christian decides to go into business. He sets up his business. I know the, the whole story. It's not quoted there. But the whole story is this. Gary Heaven's born again. He decides that God's calling him to be a financier, if you like, into the kingdom. He starts his business as a tither. And he gives 10% of his income to the Lord, to the church he attends. But guess what happened? Success. That's what happened. And if failure doesn't kill you, success just might kill you. And as the business began to grow, Gary Heaven felt that he couldn't afford to tithe anymore. Do you know that some people with a couple of hundred quid a week feel they can afford to tithe, but a person with a hundred thousand a week might not? How crazy is that? <laughs> but that's the truth. As the millions began to roll in, he even felt that he couldn't keep the business growing. I need my tithe for the business. He began to eat his seed, as the Bible would put it, and left himself with nothing to sow. And what happened? The man who started out right lost everything. And it was only a couple of years. And the whole business fell apart. And he even was a broken Christian, a broken man. And he tells the story. In fact, he travels all over the world and tells the story. He said, I stopped tithing. God blessed me. And he prospered my business. And like a fool, I lost faith. I had faith when I earned little. But I didn't have faith as I started to earn. What a mistake I made. But Heaven was wise. 
you know what he did? <laughs> he comes back to God. And he says, I'm going to give it another go. I'm going to try again at the very same business. But this time, and this is the agreement he makes with God. If you will take me back and bless my business, I will give 80% of my profit into the kingdom. And I will only expand the kingdom, expand the, the business with 20%. I promise from day one, I will never do that again. Never mind 10% tithe. I will give you 80%. You know what happened next? Gary Heaven went on to become the fastest growing franchise on earth. And he's even listed in the Guinness Book of Records. The business was so big, so fast, that he even got into the Guinness Book of Records. Astounding. God took him at his word. But a kingdom has got laws. And this kingdom has got laws. We disobey them at our peril. A kingdom has got subjects, and that's us. God is our king. A kingdom has got a culture, and you've got to live according to the culture the king dictates. Remember Alexander the Great. News reached the ears of Alexander the Great one day that there was a soldier in his army, also called Alexander, whose behavior was so bad in battle that Alexander the Great demanded the man be brought before him. And in walks the other Alexander. And the quote in history is famous. The king says to him, Alexander, either you change your behavior or I will change your name. He didn't like the fact that he was also called Alexander. We, not just McDonald's that gives their name away, but if we're going to be a Christian businessman, that's a name right there. It's the name of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that means the laws that he clearly gives us in Scripture, we must adhere to. And again, as I say, we're very foolish if we don't. The sad thing is, most people on this earth, anyway, have more faith in Wall Street than they do on the streets of the kingdom of heaven. Have more interest in Wall Street than they do in their own eternity. And I want you to listen real carefully for the next few minutes. The result of that, folks, is that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And what I mean by that is both spiritually and economically. In the church, you tend to find that those who are blessed get more blessed. And those that are in spiritual poverty tend to retreat and retreat and retreat and lose everything. Let me take a, a, just a casual example. The drummer. Let's say we have a drummer here and he's playing the drums and God's called him to play the drums. But he decides, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to pack it in. Pastor, I don't want to play the drums. Okay. What happens? Three things happen if you've got a gift and you've got a ministry and you step back from it. Three very important things. The first thing that will do is it will put a bit of a stress on the wider body. The church will feel the weight of that. Right? The second thing that will do is whoever steps back, say, from drumming, They've got to be careful that you're not on the road to spiritual and practical, if you're not careful, poverty. Because you're no longer making your weekly investment. You're serving in the kingdom for which there's a reward. But the third thing's the most important. Somebody's just about to get rich spiritually. Because someone will say, 
Don't you have a drummer? Probably someone who's doing another ministry, maybe one of the ushers or something. And they'll say, well, I can do the ushering and I can play the... Huh? And all of a sudden, the poor get poorer and the rich get richer. And if you come into this church or any other church like it, you will find people that wear about 10 hats. Right? Plenty of hats around the court this morning because it's cold. <laughs> You'll find people who wear many hats. And they're the ones that are getting rich. Whilst the foolish ones, they even step back from the little that they do. Showing a Wall Street mentality, if you like, a worldly mentality. Jesus put it like this. He told a story one day of the parable of the talents. And he said there was a man who he gave one to, a man he gave five to, a man he gave seven to, a man he gave ten to. Now, who didn't use his talent? Not the guy with the ten, the guy with the one. Because he felt it was too small, too insignificant, and so he buried his talent. What happened that talent, folks? Jesus said, bring that talent to me and give it to the man with ten. In other words, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, spiritually and indeed practically. It's sometimes very hard to give stuff to people, to give away the kingdom. When we were pioneering our church in Ireland, I remember this was a very, the Irish, the Southern Irish particularly, are a fantastic people, full of life, full of vibrancy. We lived there 10 years, full of beans, you know, they're just great. But on this point, there was a major blind spot. And I remember going into the church one morning and I said, hi, hi guys, there's been a robbery. And everybody goes, oh, one of the members has been robbed, took everything. Oh, do you want me to tell you how it happened? I cleaned the church on Friday. And I got the reward for that. Because there's someone sitting here whom God wanted to do that. But even though we advertise it, you don't take it. You don't enter in. You, you know, you're, you're missing it. And that is robbery. And that's that talent, you see. If we don't use the little we have... Even the little that we have, take from the man who has little and give it to the one with plenty, right? And that is exactly what happens. We despise small things, despise little things and are impoverished because of it. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at your giftings. Every person has a gifting. And by the way, when you die and you appear before Jesus Christ, if you're saved, you will be assessed on what you did with the gift God gave you. Okay? Everybody here can function in the kingdom. That's outside of your gifting. The work, like this morning, there's about 15 guys in here, half eight, nine o'clock this morning, setting all this equipment up, carrying it across the road. Chinadu, Stephen, Ichitai. I could say Noman. I could say Noman. Is this your gift? Are you a gifted carrier of sound equipment? No, that's not gifting. That's what? Functioning. It's functioning, but there's a reward for that, you know, and that's smart. That's very, very smart, but it is foolish not to, this is why we have haves and have nots in the kingdom. Sometimes you look around, you could think that God loved some people more than others, but he doesn't. It's just that some people engage and understand the process more than others. That's all. So just in this opening morning, I want to look at reasons why you may not be investing in the kingdom of God. Very interesting reasons, because there's reasons there somewhere. And the first one on your notes is very common. It's what we read at the, at the beginning. 
People think that the rewards for working with God, the rewards for investing in the kingdom, are all in the next life. It's all about the kingdom to come. God doesn't care about my mortgage. God doesn't care about the fact that I'm struggling to pay my bills. Nothing could be further from the truth. Listen to me. Pay close attention, folks. Look at me. You can always tell those who have taken their eyes off heaven. You know why? Because they are stressed out about getting their finances sorted out. I have got to do this. I have got to provide. I've got to pursue my career. I've got to pay my mortgage. I've got to start my business. And it's a personal thing. Such a person has forgotten that God is interested in your life now, here and now in this present age. But there's a kind of a trick I believe the devil plays. In fact, that is a religious mentality. It is a religious mentality that says, everything I do here on earth, God will reward me for in heaven. Jesus never said that. We just read it, didn't he? Didn't we? I will reward you in this present age. In this present age. And we get that Wall Street instead of kingdom, if you like. We get that mentality, but it's a religious trick. So be careful. Keep your heavenly mindedness, absolutely. But be aware that Jesus has promised to look after you here on earth. It's eternal life, friends. I don't know about you, but my eternal life started the day I got saved. And I am walking in that eternal life. The blessing is already here. God meets my needs today and in heaven. Jesus said both. I will provide for you here and I will store up. But if I don't think that, if I think it's all about heaven, what will I do? I'll sort myself out. I'll take my eyes off God. I'll keep my tithe. I'll keep my faith pledge because I need it, don't I? I'm all on my own. And you see that type of attitude. It's just a worldly attitude. And one guy came. I thought he was very brave and humble to share this testimony. But he was sitting in a church and only a young lad and all he had in his pocket was five pounds. And he needed to get a taxi home at the end of the night with that five pounds. And they were going to take up the offering and he thought, I'll put the five quid in. I can't, can I? God will provide. And now maybe he won't. Well, I, well, no, I won't. Ever been there? <laughs> he said, I'll put it in. I won't. I'll put it in. I won't. And the offering plates start going by and he's ping-ponging. And the offering goes by and he said, no, I won't. And off it goes. And he sat there for the rest of the service thinking, I probably should have put that in. God would have got me home. Huh? Oh, maybe not. And the meeting finishes. Everything's over. And he starts to head out the back door. And he thinks, see, I needed that fiver. And somebody says, Kiss, hang on. Here's that fiver I owe you. And God provided. And that guy came back in the following Sunday. And he said, I didn't give, because he felt prompted to. I didn't give into the kingdom of God because I was concerned about my here and now. And my gracious God taught me an object lesson. If you, I'll give it to you anyway. Because I just want you to realize, I will look after you. Seek ye first your business. Amen. You can say no right there. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't be a fool. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Go and give Gary Heaven a ring. And ask him what it's like. 
to get confused on the journey, because many people before you have. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I will give you favor in your business. I will give you favor in the workplace. I will ease your way through that. Right? So the first thing people do, often do, is you can be fooled into thinking, following God and serving God. Well, if you do that, the rewards are all in the next life. Nope. No, sir, that's not what Jesus said. I don't believe for that. I don't know about you. I believe for rewards in this life, in this present age. The second thing that is very common is people despise the day of small things. Extremely common. Some will say my income is too small. I'm on welfare benefit. I can't afford to give or it's not even worth giving. You can't afford not to give, folks. You really can't afford not to give. Another person will say my gifting is too small. My gifting is insignificant. I'm embarrassed about it. Like the man who had the, the one talent. But that's not being a shareholder in the kingdom of God. No matter what you do, you know, it, 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 God doesn't see it like we do. There's a great, he's a great leveler, isn't he? We're all on the same page here. All on the same boat. It's man, it's men that, you know, put one gifting over another. But God doesn't do that. Never would. Wouldn't be in his heart. We all serve the Lord. But one thing you will notice is that the smaller the gift, somehow the greater God can do. The small, so if you earn 10 pounds a week, put your pound in. Because you don't, all through the Bible, Jesus pointed out the small thing. The widow's mite. In those days, they gave publicly. That was their custom. That's why Jesus knew what she gave, right? And he saw what she put in, that small thing. And he said, truly, this woman has given more than all. A small thing. The little boy's lunch. Why was it a little boy's lunch? Jesus trying to emphasize what he can do with small things. How was Samson defeated? Five small stones. The widow's oil, she just had a little oil and a little flour, and God provided for all her debt, remember? He said, go and pay your debts with this miracle. But it took her doing, using something small in order to appropriate that miracle. And the funniest one of all, <laughs> Moses. Moses faces the chariots of Egypt. The mighty, mighty army of Egypt. And God says, Moses, go and face Pharaoh. Oh, and uh, here's a stick. And he gives him a stick. <laughs> right, Pharaoh, bring it on. And Moses got to go. Can you imagine how foolish and how stupid you look with something so small? But he had heard from God. And with that stick, in he comes. Because there was a God behind the stick, friends. And there's a God behind your 10%. Even if it's 10% of 10 pence, there's a God behind that. And better to be a doorman in the house of the Lord. Amen? It doesn't matter how small the finance is. And it doesn't matter how small men might say your gift is. Don't fall for it. But, I mean, we need to learn, folks. Do you know, let me give you an example. Five weeks ago, six weeks ago, maybe more, Pastor Tom was up and he... He just used a casual example. He said, um, there's many ministries that we need in the church for people to take their place. And he lifted up a yellow envelope, remember? And he said, for instance, we need someone to put these leaflets out on the seats. And he just stepped it back down. And of all the people who were there that morning, 
There are many of us who could have saw that shareholding opportunity. But you see, that takes maturity. It takes a lot of maturity to hear and not let something pass you by. So the person who responded to that call has been a pastor for 10 years in India. And he's a mature man who had a church of 300 people for 10 years, Mr. Jassy. And Mr. Jassy, from all his experience of teaching the Word and leading people, he heard, responded, and he said, I'll do that. I'll take that. He saw it as an opportunity. And we've got such... Turn to 2 Kings a moment. Look at this. This is the attitude, if we're not careful, that we can have. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is about those who despise small things, be that in your gifting or in the amount of money you're going to give. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, he's got leprosy and he's just about to get healed. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and he thought, surely... Uh, and I thought that I would surely come out, uh, that, that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers in Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I have washed in them and been cleansed? So they turned and went off in a rage. Look at verse 13. Naaman's servants knew better. They went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Naaman despised the small thing. You know, miracles, be they financial or business or in any way, so often God needs to be glorified in the midst of that, needs to be recognized. And that involves the, the humbling, be it Moses with his stick, or you making yourself vulnerable, are you humbling yourself and taking on a task within the church that the devil may say to you, that's below you? You can't fall for that, folks. By the way, I still clean the church every week, every Friday. We go in over there, and I'm, I love to do it, and I'm sure you would too. I love to do that because it's kind of a break from my mind. What I don't love is taking from people. I don't like that. My job, as I see it, is to try and get as much of eternal reward into your hands. That's my job, to get you moving, get you into the kingdom, and get you to be that shareholder for all eternity. Otherwise, you're going to be mad at me when we get to heaven, right? And we're trying our best to do that. But you've got to play your part, right? The church can't do everything, right? You've got to listen, listen up, play close attention, and jump at the task. Take it, I mean... Some, I think, NCAM and others, sometimes I've gotten she, if I've got the brush over there, she will just nudge me in the ribs, grab the thing, kick me out of the way and say, let me do it. That's fantastic. I remember there was one woman cleaning in Dublin and I went over to her to try and take it. Well, she nearly knocked me out, you know. It's my ministry. Good though. It wasn't bad. It was good. She knew what she had. She understood what she had. Understood the connection of that ministry to the greater picture. And that's, as I say, that's your heavenly-mindedness. So why, tell me why, that people would not invest or become shareholders, if you like, in the kingdom of God? 
because the devil has convinced them that God's not interested in them in this life. And that's not what the Scripture says. Because it's very typical of people to despise the day of small things, to look negatively or to categorize gifts or roles, and that's very unspiritual, according to Paul, right? And lastly, because many are unwilling to let go of false hopes or worldly hopes or worldly desires. You know, in the realm of business, friends, there is more delusion and fantasy and daydreams in business than anything else. I've heard more Christians talk the greatest load of rubbish and fanciful thinking about business than probably any subject. People get crazy mad ideas about this. And you've got to keep very practical. It's not a daydream. It can be an absolute reality. But you've got to give up your false hopes. Let me give you an idea of what I mean. Say you decided you're going to start your own business and maybe the mentor that you're going to use is Richard Branson. Okay? And say you think, right, Richard Branson's my mentor. Now, I've got to be like Richard Branson. What has he got? He's got a helicopter. I need a helicopter. He's got a chauffeur-driven Merc. I need a chauffeur-driven Merc. Um, get me a chauffeur-driven Merc, please. Bring it to the door. What do you need a chauffeur-driven Merc for? I haven't got time to drive myself. Fanciful, crazy delusions that have no place in the kingdom of God. Amen. Do you know where Richard Branson started? With a job. Sorry, language. Work. <laughs> he started by going and getting a job in a record shop. And he looked at the record shop manager and he looked at how he was running his business and he learned as much as he could, humbled himself. And he thought, right, I could actually make more money. And respectfully, he did. He said, I'm off. And he set up virgin uh, record stores. And he tried, and he tried many other, about 20-odd businesses, you know, and nearly half of them failed and lost multiplied millions. But Branson just kept on going, kept on trying. He didn't start big. He started very, very small. But we despise small things, you know, it's human nature. And so it is with anything about the kingdom of God, in my mind anyway. I don't believe anybody starts big. And we've got to get the delusion out of our thinking and get very practical, very practical. You go up to people, you say, you know, do you tithe? Um, you are, say, you say to someone, have you got faith? Oh, yes, I've got faith. You got faith for finances? Oh, yes. Do you tithe? No. <laughs> we haven't got faith then, have you? You actually haven't got faith. You've lost that element of your faith. Do you faith pledge? Is it actually faith? Uh, no. And so maybe there's a little bit of delusion there, folks. We need to get our feet firmly on the ground. Becoming a shareholder in the kingdom of God forever started on the day I got saved. And it started for you on the day that you got saved. What have you done since that day to send your investments forward? Is that your mindset? The kingdom starts now, friends if you will let it. The second thing is don't despise small things. When God wants to raise someone up, if God was going to bless you, say, Eileen, 
and God was going to take her down to Surrey and going to use her to start a business. Maybe a cooking business. She makes the best cakes in the world. I'm not kidding. But God would start you small. Or Henry. He's got a creative streak and wants to find something, wants to find something of creativity. Don't be afraid to start small. Or Parveen, Pastor Fred, starting their business. Go for it. But don't despise the day of small things. Jim and Enka, stepping out of the boat. Give it a go. Work hard. Work, work, work. Don't be afraid of it. And don't despise the day of small things. Friends, listen to me. Show me one person who started at the top. Not one. Not when God was involved. And when God set his eyes on someone like Joseph and thought, mm, Joseph, one day you're going to rule all of Egypt, the most powerful empire on earth. So, get in the pit. And from the pit, I will bind you and put you in a prison for 14 years. All with these cooks and chefs and whatever. Right? And God's way of lifting up often begins with lowering down. It's King David. He's a young boy. Destined for the throne. And God looks at David and says, Right, David, you're going to be the king of all Israel. Now, sheep, take that boy and separate him. Make him feel odd. Make him feel belittled. Put him out in the desert there to look after those sheep. Start small. And in the process of the melting and the breaking and the humbling of your spirit, you lose the pride. You lose the starting at the top. Hey, I don't need that, Mark. Hey, cancel the order for the helicopter. I'll walk. I'll walk. And I'll work. That's the kind of thing that God blesses. Don't be afraid to start small. And above all, we'll deal with this in another week. The last point there. Don't have a daydream, folks. Don't live in a fantasy world. Let God tell you what His plan is for your future. Be that in ministry and your gifting. Be that in functioning and the things you do in the body. Or be that in terms of a business that you want to start. Let God direct your steps. Humble yourself by laying down everything even today at the start of this year. Just invite the worship team back. Would you stand with me a second? I want to pray those few things through. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, and concentrate one moment. Lord, it's a great time to start again. It's a great time to launch out into this year and beyond in these last days and to get it right instead of wrong. Ask your forgiveness, Lord, of any lack of faith within us, any lack of kingdom-mindedness. But every person here who's born again has already entered eternity. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. You've entered that. And God, I pray that heavenly-mindedness would consume us. That we wouldn't be fooled by this world or anything in it or off it we'd have our eyes firmly fixed on Christ and on the kingdom up ahead. God, I pray we wouldn't despise the day of small things. But whatever task you give us to do, unashamedly, happily, we will do it.
I'll just give you a moment to, to make your peace with God and to reassess your standing with God at the beginning of this year. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.